What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I am Josh Dooley, and with me, as always, the one, the only, Chuck Holmes, and we are coming to you on a Sunday morning, a beautiful, fantastic Sunday morning, the first Sunday of the NFL season, which is what I am really geeked up for. But Chuck, how are we living? How are we doing after a uh, sort of a mundane Saturday? Good game or two here or there, but uh, a lot of NFL to look forward to. How you living over there? Yeah, typical early season college football Saturday. You know, you get you a couple of decent games, but nothing crazy. A uh, an as expected solid Buckeye performance, and <laughs> and we're rolling. And and you know, you and I being Bengals fans, this is a really exciting Sunday for us to kind of handle the Browns once and for all and shut everybody up finally about Burrow and not being able to handle the Browns. I, I hope so, man. I do. I think it's going to be a good game today, and I could we could just have a Bengals-Browns pod if you like, but I think we are highly compensated to cover and talk about Ohio State, so we'll stick with that. You know, you said another solid performance. I pretty much agree with you uh, based on what we saw yesterday from the Ohio State Buckeyes. 35-7 victory over Youngstown State. Each team scored to open the game 7-7. Started pulling our hair out, right? And then uh, Ohio State puts up the last 28 points. Some good, some bad, some ugly, some everything in between. I don't know that everyone would call it a solid performance, Chuck, but I think we're sort of leaning towards that camp. What were your main takeaways, your main impressions? How do you feel about Ohio State this Sunday compared to last Sunday? This was a step in the right direction. I think we had, last week we would make the argument that the defense played well and the offense was, uh, in some people's words, was a, a, a CF. This week, the defense continued to play well. In reality, if there, there's one play early in the game, if, if that long pass that that goes over the top of Cam Martinez doesn't happen, that it's probably a shutout, which is almost what you expect. Seven points is, is a reasonable ex- expectation as well. But the offense took steps, right? They Kyle McCord took steps as the starter. And I think he kind of cemented himself as the starter. And we'll we'll talk more about that aspect of it. But the offense took steps. The defense held serve. And if they continue this progression two weeks from now against Notre Dame, they've got a good shot to come out of that 4-0. I think that that is fair. I think that we can both sit here and uh, I think all Ohio State fans would admit that this is... This team is a work in progress, and the first two weeks have not been something to write home about. But at the end of the day, it's what's the combined score here? We're looking at 58 to 10, if I'm not mistaken, just doing some quick mental math. You know, last year, Ohio State opens, beats Notre Dame 21 to 10. 
Last week's victory this year, you know, for this this season was twenty three to three. I get it. Uh, Notre Dame and IU are not apples to or- apples. And then thirty five to seven yesterday. I think back to week two last year. Ohio State beat Arkansas State forty five to twelve. So there are some similarities. I think last year's version just looked a lot cleaner. Certainly looked more explosive and that makes sense right you had cj stroud second season cemented as your quarterback cemented as already a heisman finalist you had a line that could protect the heck out of him and that's not really the case yet this year there are some warts that ryan day and and his coaches are going to have to figure out how to cover up but I'm with you in the sense that it was a step in the right direction. I think that Kyle McCord clearly took the reins of the quarterback race. And we'll have you know additional conversation about that. Running backs, small sample size, looked fine. I think Travion Henderson continues to look explosive and like he's back. Marvin Harrison Jr. came out of witness protection program. Seven for 160, two scores. Omeka Ibuka, a.k.a. Bobby Lashley, looked solid. I know Chuck wants to talk about him. And the warts were still the warts. I think that Ohio State has some serious questions along the offensive line, specifically at left tackle. And the play calling leaves something to be desired, especially in the run game. And the defense, while stingy, not really getting to the quarterback. And I think that's... So the problems didn't go away, but there were steps in a number of other directions from a number of other players and position groups. So I think that's the big winner. Chuck, before we get to some players and this, that, and the other, I want to press you a little bit. Well, I mean, just kind of get your opinion. Let's start with Ryan Day. I know that his name has come up a lot. I know that his play calling has been the source of much frustration. His boundary runs doesn't seem like that's going to change. Short yardage continues to be a struggle. I am in the camp that I'm just not ready or willing to believe that he and his offensive coaches won't cobble something together. You know, Ohio State has gone through bumpy stretches, and then when it's needed, it seems like he steps up, but... I know that he has caught plenty of flack both last week and, and yesterday. How are we feeling about Ryan Day today after week two? The play calling certainly felt better yesterday. It felt like he had a little more confidence in the quarterbacks. Um, they pushed the ball down the field more. They kind of opened things up more. And to me, that was a good sign that he's – maybe smarter than all of us. And he knew last week uh, it was going to be at a a two. And this week it was at a five. And next week they're going to be at a seven on aggressiveness. And maybe by Notre Dame there, the training wheels are off. I mean, that could be what he's looking at. I think that that's a perfect look at it. And I just want to jump in because I agree with you that he's sort of ramping this thing up. The problem is I don't think there are several – there's a chunk of Ohio State fans that they don't like that's not good enough they don't want progression they want a 10 week one and moving forward and and I would agree that 
there are fans out there like that. So those people are going to be disappointed. There's just no, there's no way around it. And I do think when we talk about getting to a 10, I don't know that this offense is a 10. And I think that's okay. We've talked, we talked about it all, all, all season when we were concerned about the quarterback that if the defense is as great as we think it can be, the offense doesn't have to be a 10. It can be an eight. And if they get to an eight, I think they're going to be cooking because the defense is good. I know we'll, we'll talk about some, some flaws uh, of it a little bit, but the defense is good and it's going to hold opponents where they need to be held. Uh, I think going forward. So if he can get it to an eight in the next couple of weeks and they can kind of maintain that and they kind of establish uh, McCord as the starter and he's the one that's just going to go and and they let it fly and he gets the reps and, you know, they don't have to beat Notre Dame by three touchdowns. <laughs> they beat Notre Dame. They it, The score was less indicative of that Notre Dame game last year than any game they played. It, it was a much closer game than that, and nobody – they won. It, it didn't matter. At the end of the year, it was win over Notre Dame. That's all it was. Uh, those games don't need style points. You need style points against all the, the bottom feeders of the Big Ten or whatever. You don't need style points against them. Go get the W, however it has to happen. And if that means he's got to get a little creative on short yardage. I think they wanted to give it another, I'm, I'm guessing he wanted to probably give it another week to see if that was an aberration because they knew in the long run, short yardage wasn't going to matter this week. It wasn't going to lose them the game. It didn't work. So my no. guess is now it's when they, <laughs> they start getting a little more creative and I'll be fascinated to see, they've got to work on something next week so that they're ready for Notre Dame. My guess is Western Kentucky would see some wrinkles that, Youngstown and Indiana didn't see in anticipation of getting them on film for Notre Dame and then Notre Dame then having another set of wrinkles that hopefully the offense can handle, which I, I think they can. And that allows them to get to that seven, eight out of 10 range that we're hoping that they can finally get to. A 10 is not always what it's cracked up to be. Uh, think back to your well, you know, you may or may not have had this experience like I did, but sometimes, you know, dating a 10 is a lot of high maintenance and it takes a lot of work. Yes. Whereas, you know, if you can somehow find yourself in good company with two eights, we're, we're talking about a, a fun, wild ride. You know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, man, like I, I think that's fair. Ohio State's offense carried the team last year and the year before. Absolutely carried them. If the defense comes to the party this year, then it, not everything has to be on the offense. Do you want them to be explosive and efficient and be able to figure out a third and two? Hell yeah, absolutely. And they need to figure that out. But I think progression is okay. And I, I'm not going to sit here and be a total homer and say that I don't have and tell you that I don't have some concerns, but. I just choose to believe that good coach, all coaches, they have a, a plan within a game and they, they have a plan within a season. And call them stubborn if you want, but I, I think that Ryan Day has a plan within the season and he spoke to it. He wanted to see both of his quarterbacks play. 
last week was sort of clunky. It was not a good game. I'm sure he, they, he was all sorts of pissed off at the execution and decided, hey, you know, I didn't get Devin Brown in that game. I'm going to get him in against Youngstown State. Kyle McCord did some things. He was my guy week one, but I've got to get, or I'm going to give the other guy a chance because I need to see what he can do. I think that all along, Ryan Day probably felt, I would bet that he was leaning towards Kyle McCord. But he's like, man, there's something about Devin that I'm seeing in practice. I, I I need to see it against another team. I need to see it with live ammo to really make my decision. And I think that's part of what we saw yesterday. And so is that a mishandling of the quarterback situation? Yeah, maybe. Like if you're leaning towards a guy, then maybe when fall camp opens, he's your guy and, and you go with it. But I... I don't think that Ryan Day, to your point, I don't think that he cares about style points weeks one through three. I think he cares about figuring some shit out. And that's what he wanted to do with the quarterbacks and progress Kyle, introduce Devin, and reevaluate from there. And again, I, that's not the perfect way to do it. I'm, I'm there. I agree with that. I get it. But there's a plan within a season and there's a plan within a game. And I think that he was working both yesterday. So, um, but overall, Chuck, you know, I just, I took some notes. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about that's not necessarily related to a position group or a player. So I want to kind of hit it here in the beginning. Ryan Day in his post game talked about the new clock rules and the time of possession and things like that. And I know that he caught some flack for that. And I, you can say maybe he was whining or making excuses. He did say, you know, combined with poor execution, lack of execution, lack of efficiency, things like that. So he doesn't, he didn't just table the conversation as like one topic. Still not a great soundbite, right? Because Ohio state is running like 62 offensive plays per game through two weeks compared to 67 or 68 in their first few games last year. That's not a huge difference. So in theory, they're running the same number of plays. And several other teams are still finding a way to score 45, 50. Oregon put up 80 on an FCS opponent week one. So yes, the Buckeyes have been less efficient, far less explosive through two games. There is no denying that. But they are getting far fewer bites at the apple. And I think that is at least part of what Ryan Day was getting at. You know, OSU has had, they had nine possessions yesterday, including two three and outs. Can't have those. I mean, you just, you can't have them. But when that does happen, it usually results in more possessions. OSU had nine, like I said, only seven of any real substance. And that's because they shot themselves in the foot twice. But whether it's seven or nine, whatever, that's not a lot of possessions. And I get it. It's because they're holding on to the ball longer. They're not as efficient. They're not as, ex- as explosive. But if you go back and look, in most games last year, they were getting 11, 12, 13 offensive possessions. I found one game they had 14 offensive possessions. 
And those 65 offensive snap games were not the norm. You pick a random box score from later in the season, pick a game against Maryland, which is just one that I picked out. That was not a total clinic by any means. You remember C.J. Stroud was meh, and the running game really led them. But Stroud threw 30 passes, and the Buckeyes ran it 43 times. That's 70, or yeah, 73 plays, and Maryland ran 68, I believe. So, look, they're breaking in a new quarterback and a new offensive line that has some issues. They haven't been as sharp, and as a result, they're not running a ton of plays. But it's less plays. They're not out there. The second half, they had three possessions. Kyle McCord threw two passes and sat for the final what, 20 game minutes because Youngstown State had a seven and a half minute possession that didn't lead to points. Like that's the other thing. If Ohio State had fewer possessions, you might say, oh, well, the defense needs to get off the field. The defense needs to stop giving up points. They didn't give up points after the first drive yesterday. So I'm not, I I don't want to make excuses. I'm not saying that it's justifiable per se, but it's just sort of, it's sort of odd. It's sort of fluky. I, you know, I watched, and I'll let you jump in here, Chuck, because I know I'm on a, a soapbox right now. But I watched a lot of the Wisconsin game last night. Not a clinic from them. They only put up 22 points. They had 12 possessions. So Ohio State in these first couple of games, they've had 25 percent fewer possessions than most of their games last year, than a lot of teams have had in their games. I get it; it's because they're not executing the way they need to. But I mean, they didn't have the ball in the second half yesterday. Like that's just sort of odd, and I can at least see why, on occasion, they're having some trouble establishing rhythm early, especially when you're also trying to get a couple of different quarterbacks in there. And I think that might be the tipping point for the quarterback, quote unquote, battle, right? At some point, I think everybody is in agreement that's not related to Devin Brown, that Kyle McCord is probably the guy. It showed yesterday when Brown got some opportunities, he wasn't as sharp. He definitely is not as accurate. Uh, His decision making is not better. He was never put in a position, I think, to really make a decision that was top-notch. And his running and his athleticism did not really lead to anything. So to me, with what you're saying, that leads me to believe at some point, and and it probably needs to be this week, you just got to turn it over to Kyle McCord and let him get those reps. And let him stay in his rhythm because you can't let him go 20 game minutes, like you said, without being even in the game, unless it's 70 to nothing. And at that point, he got the reps he needed anyway. So it's okay that he's out of that game. So that part of it is is a an adjustment that not just Ryan Day and his staff, everybody is having to make. To me, that also lends credence to and the guys don't want to hear this, but you're probably not going to be able to get four backs carries. Like if you look at it yesterday, the fact that Travion Henderson got five carries averaging 11 yards a carry is kind of crazy. So maybe you can't get all three or four guys carries 
and maybe only one or two guys are going to get the ball if you're only going to get 27 carries out of a game. And it sucks. And those guys that are going to get left out are going to be mad. But running backs need to get into a rhythm just like quarterbacks do. And they probably need the snaps in order to do that. And the great thing is, and you never want anybody to get hurt, but if one of them gets hurt, the other guy's going to be fresh that's coming in. So I think the rules are changing things for college football. We'll, we'll see if it's good or bad. And I'm hoping that Day and his staff can kind of make that adjustment on the fly as quick as we think they can. And then see the progressions. You know, those that are successful with rule changes are the ones that embrace them and go headlong. Now, he complained about them. And that's okay. Now, I hope he's just headlong into let's find a solution, not let's not just complain about it and be the leader in college football is how we can take advantage of the rules that exist. And my guests aren't going to go away. There's no reason for them to go away. Coaches complaining about less plays is never going to be the reason that the rule goes away, especially if they end up seeing a drop in injuries because less plays are ran. I was totally on board with you until I thought about last night's Alabama game where Saban was forced to start taking timeouts at five minutes because the clock didn't stop. So they might actually change the rules back because of him. And of course, I'm joking and I do agree with you, but I, like, I don't know if Nick Saban pisses and moans enough that they tend to look at things. <clears throat> look, tactically speaking, Ryan Day when it comes to like this new rule and, and maybe his rotations, he's probably been out coached by dozens of coaches. There are guys out there who have figured it out. And like I said, they're still putting up 50, 60, 80 points, whatever. So yeah, like right there, you can say that Ryan day and his guys, whomever, like they have not adapted quickly enough. And day himself has said that he's a stubborn guy and he's certainly, been called as such or much worse by others and Ohio State fans and this and the other. So he needs to he needs to earn some of his money by figuring this thing out. Whether that's rotations, clocks, like it's it's the whole thing. But yeah, like you know what, Chuck? Let's. I want to get into these position groups because I think it's natural. I think that you've talked about the running backs. We want to talk quarterback, so. Let's take a break here, and then I think we start going position group by position group here, and then we can get into some of those intricacies and those things within the game. So, um, guys, hang with us. Chuck and I are going to take a quick one, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to Hang Out in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast with Chuck Holmes. I am Josh Dooley, and we are recapping a – divisive week two victory for our Ohio State Buckeyes 35 to 7 over Youngstown State. Chuck and I were just sort of riffing before the break on everything sort of new in college football, general musings from these first couple of games, but it's only natural that we get into some of these position groups. We talk about performance and we've alluded to it. Now let's start to break it down. Chuck, let's look at Ohio State's quarterback position. We thought that it was going to be a battle. That's the bill of goods that we were sold. And then week one, 
it was the Kyle McCord show, right? Devin Brown got in there for a series. He was three and out. We expected to see more of Devin Brown this week. We did, but Kyle McCord was vastly superior. He got the start. He got most of the reps in the first half. Looked pretty sharp. Devin Brown struggled at time. You know, Devin Brown struggled early. He closed pretty strong. To his credit, I think he completed five out of his last six. He looked a lot more in control, a lot more comfortable late. And if I were taking the thousand-foot view on this thing, it's like these two quarterbacks are guys of similar skills or a similar skill set and ability, and one looks like they have more experience. And that's sort of what it is, right? Kyle McCord has an additional year. He has looked better. And yesterday was our probably our first fair comparison point. And McCord sort of blew the doors off of Devin Brown. Like I said, he looked good early. In the first half, he was 13 for 18, I think. 253, 258, three scores. And... I wrote down his first half incompletions because I didn't think that he looked good. I think that he looked really good. Now, are there some adjustments that he probably needs to make? Sure. Did I look at the all 22? Do I know that he didn't miss another receiver or a big play here or there? No, I don't know that. But 13 for 18 in the first half and those five incompletions... One was an egregious DPI that was not called against Emeka Ibuka. One was a ball batted at the line. One was a stone-cold drop in Marvin Harrison Jr.'s belly. And then, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and give you all five. Well, maybe I will. There was a deep shot. It was questionable, right? I think he threw into double coverage looking for Julian Fleming. Probably wants that back, but at least it's downfield. And he underthrew it a little bit. We don't know what it looks like if he executes. And then I believe the fifth one was... I think it was the one where he missed Marv by like six inches on the sideline. Like it was an out. It was a well-thrown ball, but it was too far outside. And Marvin Harrison Jr. couldn't get his feet in. So, you know, you take away... Three of those, that maybe they're on him, maybe they're not. Um, he was damn accurate in the first half, and he looked good, and he was finding Marvin Harrison Jr. He was making all the right reads, in my opinion, from what I saw. And he was making some really good throws, and when they were willing to let him loose, it looked like he was comfortable. And so I was, I was pleased with what we saw from Kyle McCord, especially in that first half, and then Second half, like I said, he sits for half the quarter, comes out one for two, I think five yards was his second half stat line. They go three and out, and poof, he's gone. He's off into the night, so Devin Brown can get some reps. Ryan Day probably would have liked to have let them both play a little bit more in the second half, but like I said, that doesn't happen when you get three possessions, so... Where are we at on Kyle McCord, Chuck? Because I feel much better about him today than I did last Sunday. Look, we weren't going to get C.J. Stroud from last year or Justin Fields from his uh, seasons here or 
Dwayne Haskins. Like that just wasn't going to be the progression. He was okay to not to be low. Okay. Last week. (laughs) Is that a category? Low. Okay. (laughs) He was below. Okay. But he took a big step this week and that's, he wasn't going to go from below okay to Heisman contender in six days. That just that's not how this works. That's not how football works. He can get better and then do the same thing again this week. And he did. He made some good throws. He also still made a couple of questionable ones that they've got to get rid of. That Fleming one, he was double covered. Even if he throws it out and lets him run under it, he was still double covered. Uh, he met one throw that he did throw to Harrison. Abuka was open on the other side. He didn't even give him a, a look. So, yes, did he have a perfect, flawless game? No. But was he way better than last week? Yes. And, and as a fan, that's what you want, right? You want your team getting better. So he got better. Uh, he was exponentially better than Devin Brown. You could see last week why it was a competition because McCord probably had some practice days that looked like last week's game. You could see this week why Devin Brown just never overtook him because it's just not there. McCord did not give them enough to take the job, but Brown never, it looks like, is not quite ready to be the guy to take it from him. And for me, it came down to his accuracy. His accuracy, the the accuracy difference between the two is noticeable. And Brown's athleticism is not going to be good enough to overcome that. Devin Brown is not Justin Fields. Devin Brown is not uh, Braxton Miller, even JT Barrett. When it comes to running around, making plays with his feet, he's not those guys. So if he's not going to be accurate in Ryan Day's system, he's not going to get the lead guy opportunities and it's showing right now. So to me, yesterday was a confirmation. This is McCord's team moving forward. He's got to get better, but he's the best guy right now. And if he continues to get better, they've got an opportunity to do some things. It's all about progression, right? And that's what we talked about. Yeah, he wasn't perfect. You know, I didn't see or maybe I didn't notice the play where Igbuka was open on the other side and he in, in, instead targeted Marvin Harrison Jr., but he did most of the things that we wanted him to do after that week one performance, I think, you know, as fans, personally speaking at least. But to the Devin Brown point, look, he can get there. This kid was a highly coveted recruit, and like I said, when he settled in, he looked much sharper. But yeah, like you look at some of the the poor throws and they were poor. You know, there was an out to the sideline. Devin Brown threw it to New Albany. And if you're familiar with Ohio and Columbus at all, like New Albany's not that close. <laughs> he almost threw it out of the shoe. It was and maybe it was nerves and testosterone and things like that. I don't know, but it was bad. And then the deep ball, I know Chuck, you know which one I'm talking about. He underthrew Marvin Harrison Jr. by 10 yards. Now, he got a DPI. There are quarterbacks in the NFL, like that's their game plan is DPIs. <laughs> Maybe not by design, but but they go for it, right? Kyle McCord was, yes, exponentially more accurate and showed a lot of things. And, you know, Chuck, you said he's not going to be this guy or that guy. And right now, I think you're right. 
But that doesn't mean that we as Buckeye fans doesn't mean that we don't want him to be or expect him to be right now. Because you look elsewhere, like look, sure. Shador Shador Sanders is lighting it up, and he played in a, a, you know FCS school. And I personally thought that he was a bit overhyped. Guess what? He might not be. He looks awesome. And so at the quarterback factory known as Ohio State, maybe we expected Kyle McCord to come in and do the same thing. But some guys take a little bit longer, and others never really get there. But right now, Kyle McCord is showing me week-over-week progression. I get it, small sample size. And that's while being in some sort of battle, right? If Ryan Day comes out Tuesday and says Kyle McCord is QB1, which I, I would be shocked at this point if he does not, make that known on Tuesday. Do you agree with that? Yeah, and it sure seems like Devin Brown, a few of the comments he made after the game led you to believe that he knows he's the backup and that this competition is pretty much over. For now, and you know, I'm not willing to to mail it in or give up on Devin Brown either, but Kyle McCord's going to take this job. That's what we envision happening probably as soon as Tuesday which is probably going to make him even more comfortable, give him even more confidence and ownership of this offense. It's probably going to change Ryan Day's thought process and how he trusts him and how he builds a game plan. And if he comes out against Western Kentucky and throws for 350 yards and four scores and he's just as accurate as he was yesterday then I think Ohio State fans are going to feel, be feeling pretty good um, if he gets protected. And so I want to make a segue, Chuck. I want to skip over the, the skill groups for now and get to the guys protecting Kyle McCord or not protecting. They have been doing the one thing well so far. But, Chuck, let's talk offensive line. One individual graded out as a champion – I, after week one, and that was Josh Fryer at right tackle. A lot of guys had some rough PFF grades. A lot of rough tape coming out of that Indiana game. I was willing to chalk that up to inexperience, lack of cohesion, like five guys not being on the same page, and I thought that it would be cleaned up in week two. While the pass pro still looks good to great, at this point, although I don't know how fairly you judge that uh, when they play an FCS opponent. Ugh. Look, I got some questions. You could potentially categorize them as concerns. The run blocking is still not great. Uh, Ohio State averaged 4.6 yards per carry yesterday on 27 totes. And really, you take away Travion Henderson, you're looking at three and a half, three, three and a half yards per carry. I know some of that is due to running to the boundary and being predictable. Ryan Day has talked about not wanting to bash his head against a wall. He did that yesterday and, and did that to us as well with some of those run plays. But Chuck, let's just let's vamp on this offensive line. I think they look very average right now. 
I think that the right side is the stronger of the two. I think that Josh Jimmy Simmons might be a problem. And for what it's worth right now, Donovan Jackson, who is a preseason All-American, either isn't able to sort of make up the difference on the left side or he just doesn't know how. Um, I've got some concerns, man, and, and specifically at left tackle, but for all five, as a unit, they look pretty average right now, and I don't think that average is going to cut it against the Notre Dames, the Penn States of the world, the Michigans of the world, obviously. Where are you at on this offensive line? I'm pretty similar, and I agree with you that the pass pro has been a little better. But like you said, we they've also played two teams that did not or should not have affected their pass rush. Like their pass rush should not have affected Ohio State. So I'm still, even that, the jury is out, to, in, in my opinion. The run blocking is, it's, it's poor right now i mean and you're you're running for four seven against an fcs team because your running backs are out of this world compared to their talent on their defense like it is alarming and i think this is the biggest issue this team has right now i would have said i've said quarterbacks since i started this pod in april i've I've changed my tune it's it's offensive line Uh, if they cannot uh establish themselves not only are they going to potentially be exposed in pass protection but if they can't run the ball effectively against good teams that's just going to expose our eight out of ten Kyle McCord that we're hoping he gets to because you can't even the best quarterbacks can't always be productive when they're running for their lives like we've seen it with good quarterbacks throughout football history. You can be as good as you want. If you're running for your life, it does not matter. So this part of it, uh, Justin Fry's got to earn his money. And this is a, uh, you know, we could we could talk ad nauseum at this being a uh, indictment on recruiting and development under Coach Studd. Uh, but Justin Fry's been here two seasons. This is his second season. And I know sometimes it takes longer than that to establish guys. But we're not we haven't established that 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 pipeline so he's got his work cut out for him the next couple of weeks because Notre Dame will expose them if they play like they have the last two weeks and that's where that last point I can sort of jump in there and I can place some blame squarely at the feet of Ryan Day and Justin Fry you knew your recruiting was poor why did you not go out and just get super aggressive in the transfer portal so I'm not a total homer here. Like I'm going to admit some some faults and, and criticize Ryan Day and his coaches for some things, and that's just one of them. But yeah, like even if Kyle McCord progresses, but then they go to South Bend and they can't run the ball, then the offense that's potentially an eight that he's leading it becomes a four at 1:45 a.m. around last call. It becomes the thing like, hey, you know, we might have a good experience or two, but the rest, the rest of the time, I'm not going to be one of telling my buddies about it. You know, you know what I mean? We're not going to speak highly of this Ohio State offense if they look good 
against Western Kentucky, but just poor against Notre Dame. And so they have to figure out some, they have to find some answers along that offensive line. And I'm not real sure what those answers are or where they're coming from. You know, I think that they experimented or, you know, we thought that Josh Fryer might be the left tackle and Josh Jimmy Simmons may end up at right. That was switched pretty early on, you know, on us at least. Like, that's not what we expected. And so the coaches clearly, they, they could be wrong, but they clearly saw that, hey, this guy's better on the left, this guy's better on the right. You can't just, I, I don't think you can just switch that back now. But I'm not an offensive line guru. I'm not a football coach. I am not a football mind, perhaps. But to me, I, I don't know that that's your immediate go-to. Um, I, I've seen people suggest maybe Donovan Jackson kicks out to left tackle and they find a new left guard. In theory, that sounds great. And Donovan Jackson is a talented dude. I, personally speaking, I have no clue if he has spent a single rep at left tackle, let alone five minutes, five months, whatever you need to prepare to protect the blind side. I, I don't know that Donovan Jackson has that skill set. He might. And, you know, maybe he is the next, uh, gosh, Tyron Smith or something. Um, but right now, he's an All-American guard who, for what it's worth, has not graded out as an All-American, at least. Certainly not week one. I'd have to go back and watch some more reps from yesterday. But, yeah, left, left tackle might be an issue. And it doesn't seem like Ryan Day is maybe doing them those guys a ton of favors with some of his play calls. I'm willing to admit that. But I also look at it and I say, I'm pretty sure Ryan Day knows a little bit more about offensive football than I do. And, I mean, there's got to be a reason that he is calling some of the offensive plays, specifically the runs that he is. Maybe it's just stubbornness and I'm wrong. Uh, and I am defending what should not be defended, but... I think there's a reason for all of it, and maybe he knows that this is not the greatest offensive line in the history of football, and he's trying to figure out some answers just like we all are on like why this stuff is happening. But that's the offensive line. I, I can't give you a bunch of stats and, and things like that. So let's talk about some of these, uh, these skill position groups. Running backs combined yesterday for, let's call it, 20 carries, and that includes Xavier Johnson. Travion Henderson led the way with just five carries, but 56 yards. He scored two touchdowns. Chip Trianum, after leading the team week one, had six for 20. And Mayan Williams, only six carries for 25 yards. Didn't look great, although, but... Travion Henderson looks sort of back, right? I know his stats weren't great last week, but the burst was there. The burst was there again yesterday. He had a long 30-yarder, making some guys miss, making some good cuts when he had the opportunity to do so. So encouraged by Travion Henderson's performance, discouraged by what we've seen from Mayan Williams so far, but I... 
no fault of his own, really. I thought that this would be sort of a real thunder and lightning tandem with Mayan Williams providing that thunder. He just hasn't had the opportunity to. So, again, this is where they have to have more possessions. They need to stay on the field a little bit because Mayan Williams can beat up on some teams. He can wear down some opponents. He just hasn't had that chance yet. Travion Henderson looked really good yesterday. They finally got Xavier Johnson involved out of the backfield. He also had one catch for six yards. But just looking at the running game, Chuck, I have to give it like an incomplete right now and also say that Travion Henderson looks really good. But I don't know how I can grade these guys out because they're just not getting a ton of reps and they're not getting a lot of help either. Yeah, you're you're looking at a scenario where running back running backs just can't be productive on five carries a game. I mean, you've seen that throughout history. There is a fine line. Eventually they run out of gas at 40 carries a game or whatever that number is, but guys can't get into a uh, any kind of rhythm when they're alternating series every series it seems like. So you you hope that there's a plan for that and maybe it's the same concept with the quarterbacks where they wanted to just get everybody out there and see what happens and then kind of as it gets into the nitty gritty you can kind of lean into the guys that have been most productive obviously Travion was the most productive yesterday he looked fast that's the fastest he's looked in two years in my opinion when he I mean because he was running for his life on a couple of those (laughs) to try to get out uh, outside and then turn it upfield like running for his life and was able to do it. And you didn't see that a lot last year, even before he got banged up. So that was a a super positive. But until one of these guys can get 10, 12, 14, 15 carries in a game and really see how they hold up getting banged around that long, I agree with you. There's not really a whole lot you can say to it. And you want to see somebody have a little bit of rhythm going into Notre Dame because you are going to have to run the ball against Notre Dame. You're going to have to keep the ball out of Hartman's hands at some point because if not, if you give Sam Hartman 12, 13, 14 possessions, like we've talked about previously, they've gotten in the past, he's going to hurt you. So you can't give him those opportunities. You have to play into what your strengths are. And so Next week, they can get a little bit more of a rhythm for a couple of these guys and then be ready to go for that. Yeah, it's the Notre Dame point. I don't, you got to control the ball and get some first downs when it's a first year quarterback versus a ninth year quarterback, right? Sam Hartman's been in college for a decade, and yeah, you, you can't give him that many bites at the apple. But yeah, like I, I agree with you on the rhythm part. Like, you need to establish your pecking order and sort of know what you've got and what to expect from those guys. And they may or may not be able to do it next week, honestly. But good news is all those running backs seem to be healthy. And that includes, gosh, that includes Dallin Hayden, we think. Evan Pryor, we think. Like, that's sort of the bummer of these first couple of games. Ohio State's not executing the way that they should or the way that they want to. So they're not blowing the doors off of these opponents. And you're not seeing... The fourth string running back, you're not seeing, you know, we didn't see a Brandon Ennis or a Jaden Ballard or things like that yesterday, a little bit of Carnell Tate, but, you know, them's the break sometimes, and then hopefully they get this thing figured out. 
Let's go quickly on the receivers. I didn't anticipate doing 90 minutes on Youngstown State, but I want to save some time for the defense. Ohio State wide receivers yesterday, led by Marvin Harrison Jr. He had seven receptions for 160 yards and two touchdowns. The demise of Marv was much exaggerated. He looked great, especially in the first half. He played into the second. I don't think that he had a reception in the second half. Didn't really need one. You could say that they could have padded his stats yesterday. Had him put up 2, 225, 250. They easily could have done that. But again, three total possessions. Two of which are with Devin Brown, who was working some kinks out. I think that's fair to say. So, didn't do much in the second half. But still, you, you like what you saw from Marvin Harrison Jr. He was another guy. He probably got an incomplete week one or uh, just didn't attend class week one. We know what he's capable of. He showed it yesterday. You know, torched a guy deep. No high safety on that from what I can tell. So easy 70-yard touchdown if there ever was such a thing. Good adjustment on the 39, 36-yard or whatever it was from his guy. Seems like the McCord to Marvin Harrison Jr. pipeline has been reopened. Elsewhere, Emeka Ibuka, I know I want to, you know, turn it over to you on this. Five catches for 94 yards yesterday. Looked pretty good. Contrary to what you're going to jump in with, I thought that he looked shifty at times. You know, he was putting some jukes on on his touchdown reception run after the catch. But he let, he was second on the team with five receptions for 94. Julian Fleming, three for 25. Cade Stover was shut out in this game. Cardell Tate had a nice snag, one for 20. And they got Travion Henderson involved. Two catches for 18 yards. I'm just gonna I'm gonna beat the drum hard to give them a, a complete grade for the second half at least. Ohio State just didn't have the ball. But I think we all know what Ohio State has with their wide receivers. But Chuck, talk to me a little bit about Emeka Igbuka and what you're seeing there because we've talked offline. You've got like a at least a a slight minimal concern about him, right? Yeah, he is still a, a ridiculous athlete, right? But to me, and this is just a an untrained naked eye, he didn't look as fast or as shifty as he did last year. Last year was just it was ridiculous. When he got the ball in the open field, he was a dynamo. And to me, he looks just a half a step behind that this year. And you would really expect kind of the opposite, right? As your body's growing, these college guys are, should get a little faster and a little more uh, athletic as they keep going. To me, what was kind of, and I, I didn't notice this the first week, maybe because they couldn't complete passes to him. He's huge. His arms are huge. Like, almost, di- like, the only I think I've seen Ohio State with arms bigger than him is David Boston. Like, he's massive. And to me, I'm just wondering if maybe he's a little too big on the upper. You've seen a lot of receivers that were skinny up top. It, it didn't matter. if you All you had to do was get off the line and you're okay. And I just wonder if maybe he has gone a little too far with this and and Omeka biceps 
is not the answer for being the best receiver that he can be, especially a guy that operates out of the slot a lot. You're not going to see a lot of jam and you're not going to see a lot of press coverage when you're operating out of the slot. So is it something that he had to have in order to take that next step as a receiver? I'm not sure. And it's, you know, you still had 94 yards. So maybe it's something that I'm just making up out of thin air, but it sure seemed like to me he wasn't the dynamic playmaker that we've seen in the past. And I wasn't really on this or even thinking about it until you brought it up yesterday. So, you know, honestly, credit to you. Maybe others have brought it up too. But, yeah, up top, and I'm trying to find the name of the recruit. Ohio State hosted a 2025-2026 recruit, I think, yesterday. And there's a picture of him. I saw it on Twitter. If I had his name, I'd give it to you. He took a picture with Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka. And Emeka Ibuka, I mean, he's got the 22s. Like like Hulk Hogan, man. Like, he is (laughs) rocked up and... Maybe that has affected his speed, his athleticism, his shiftiness. Like you said, like he still is a dynamic athlete. And maybe he this was a conscious decision because he he talked about being banged up a little bit, right? And maybe he felt the need to protect himself, protect his body and uh balance out his game a little bit, but yeah, I don't know, it's something to keep an eye on. Right, we'll we'll take a look at that. Hasn't done much in the return game. I, if you pin me down and asked me, I don't know if he's honestly a go-to punt receiver. And the recruit is Jabari Brady, B-R-A-D-Y. He's the one that posted a picture with Goat One and Goat Two, Marv and Emeka Ibuka. And man, I'm looking at it again. That's what I work for. Those arms that Emeka Ibuka has right there, I, I I would pay to have those. He looks rocked up. He might have bigger arms than JT Tuimolo out or Jack Sawyer. My man has been doing some curls. Probably some reverse curls. Um, you know, you, you can see some 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 veins there in the forearm. My man's been lifting is the point there. But I Coming back to the wide receivers and then making a transition, you couldn't ask for better options. So I take solace in the fact that Ohio State has those guys. And then even deeper, they've got your Julian Flemings and your Carnell Tates and Jaden Ballard. Like I said, we haven't even seen him barely. Brandon Ennis. There's going to come a time where multiple other facets of the game are not going well. And I do truly believe that Ohio State will be able to fall back on those guys, force feed them somehow, and maybe be bailed out. And I think that that's going to give Kyle McCord, Devin Brown, uh, freaking Lincoln Kindholz, whoever comes on the field for Ohio State, that's going to give them the confidence. And so I feel just fine about the wide receivers. Give them an A+, give them an incomplete, whatever. Good stuff from them yesterday. Let's finally transition over to this defense, Chuck, because I think that this can be a divisive topic. You can come down on either side of the fence. In my opinion, the defense looks much improved 
from what we saw a year ago in 2022, I think that the defensive line looks pretty stout against the run. We can talk about other facets of the game. I think that Tommy Eichenberg looks like Tommy Eichenberg out there. Sound, steady, strong, knows what he's doing. He's directing some guys. Same sort of could be said about Steel Chambers. He's your more athletic. I, I don't know how you grade out linebackers after these first couple of games. They've done what they needed to do. They've made some plays. I haven't seen them torched in any in any way. And then the secondary looks pretty darn good. But again, you have to take into consideration the fact that Indiana didn't throw the ball. Even though, I don't know if you saw what they they did yesterday. Like, Taven Jackson looked pretty damn good. So I don't know what Tom Allen was thinking week one. Neither here nor there. Youngstown State is not known as a team that throws the ball all over the yard. You know, Mitch Davidson threw for less than 100 yards yesterday. They had the good first drive, which to your point, you you take away Cam Martinez, and that may have been a much shorter drive that led to zero points. They brought in the backup, Bo Brungard, 5 for 8, 37 yards and a pick. So secondary limited Youngstown State to 135 passing yards, and Denzel Burt came away with... Ohio State's first interception by a corner since, like, the George W. administration. Like, it's been a minute. He looked good. Uh, I'm sort of going off on a tangent here, Chuck. Give me your overall, your first impressions from this defense yesterday and what we've seen thus far. I don't think you can complain about the defense in the first two weeks, say for maybe the pass rush. I think the pass rush and the defensive ends pressure is something to be really concerned about because you're about to play some really good quarterbacks. But I think the tackles have done exactly what they needed to do. And the back seven has done exactly what it needed to do. We're not like the idea that if anybody thinks that they're giving up too much in the back end, like, what's going to happen? These are all like, this is 2023. The idea of giving up six passing yards is gone. <laughs> you just don't do that anymore, right? This isn't, we're, we're not talking about, this isn't 1985 Chicago bears that where we can just hold everybody to zero yards and zero points. That's not college football in 2023. So I think they've done exactly what they needed to do. That long pass was was a backup. There's a reason he didn't win the job. So it's okay during a Youngstown State game. It, it almost kind of proves and justifies where you're at with, with the position, right? I, I'm nothing but happy with them in that aspect. Now, the pass rush is a, is a concern. The pass rush to me is almost as much of a concern as the offensive line. Because if you don't put pressure on some of these guys that they're about to face, they're about to face four, five, six really good quarterbacks. And if you're not going to be able to put pressure on them, and I get it, the last two weeks, these guys are getting it out as fast as they literally can because they know. They know they're overmatched. They know physically they can't hold up. But that's still, at some point, they they dropped back and gave you an option. And the, it wasn't even like that they weren't getting to the quarterback and sacking them. They weren't even getting close to the quarterback. 
when they the last two weeks towards the end of the games when they've gotten in the second half when they've gotten pressure it's been the tackles that have been collapsing the pocket it hasn't been the rush from the outside so the rush from the outside's got to it's got to improve for them going forward but the other nine guys that are on the field at any given time to me have played as well as they could expect and if your starters in the secondary aren't giving up big plays the secondary giving up big plays was the only thing that held them back from winning a national championship last year. So if that's not happening, you can't complain. I'm with you on all points. You know, as far as the secondary goes, it's hard to say they've been tested, but you just you look at some of the plays that they are making. Yeah, they haven't been tested, but they also haven't given up anything. Like you can't can't do what you can't. Defense is is so much different, right? You can't dictate you can't tell Youngstown State, hey, we're gonna need you guys to really open it up this week. You got it. You got to open it up. We need test it. He's the, they, that's not how this works. They they didn't get tested, but they did, also didn't give anything up. One play. So to me, uh, it, it sucks that they haven't because you you would prefer uh, that they have somebody that comes in and next week they will. I mean, you're gonna have a, a an offense yeah. that's gonna come in and throw the ball around. So we'll see next week. But up to this point. With the defense, you get what you're given, and they've passed with what they've been given. I think the harshest criticism you can give to the secondary is that they are untested, and that's not a criticism. Like, that's if you want to complain, air quotes, that's the complaint is that they haven't been tested. But um, yeah, they've looked really good, and you just look at the plays that they've been able to make. Davison Igbenosin has infused a, let's call it like a physicality into that cornerback room. Obviously, you know, I, I think he's 6'3", 220. I, I don't know what they list him as. I think it's a lie. <laughs> he's a beast out there. and He can get maybe overly aggressive at times. That's okay. Like, you want a nice aggressive corner. And he's brought a physicality. He had five tackles yesterday. He is a sound tackler, so you know that he is willing and able to support in the run game. Jordan Hancock, versatility, right? We saw him play corner. We saw him play more of a traditional slot yesterday when uh, Youngstown State was spreading it out a little bit. So he is, I don't know, maybe he's what Ohio State fans wanted Sean Wade to be. Like a guy who can play in the slot and outside. You like what you're seeing from him. And then Denzel Burke, I don't think I have to remind people. He was a freshman All-American two years ago. He struggled at times last year. He's looked really good this year. And it's not just in pass coverage against inferior opponents. He made a nice Physical tackle yesterday in the second half. He lowered his shoulder. He lost his lid. That's what you want to see from your corners in run support. He came up and he made a nice play. Two plays later, not the best thrown ball in the world, but it was a 50-50 ball in the end zone. And Denzel Burke said, that's my line. That's mine. I'm taking that. He came down with a 50-50 ball. So he is actively making plays. And then the safeties... They are probably the most untested. We saw some Jihad Carter yesterday. Malik Hartford started the game in place of Josh Proctor. 
Honestly, I wasn't able to take away a ton from them. Lathan Ransom, sort of a leader back there, just hasn't had the opportunity to make plays. They also have not been torched. They have not blown too many assignments from what I can tell. So good on them. And then Sonny Styles is, you know, let's call him your third safety on and off the field yesterday. I think they took him off a little bit when Youngstown State was spreading it out. But there's an argument to be made that he looks like the best guy on Ohio State's defense. He looks like the best guy on the field for them. He is a monster, a unicorn, whatever. Huge hit yesterday. He was going to get a sack if Tommy Eichenberg didn't get to the quarterback first on a blitz. I want to see them use him more in that way. I think that he can be sort of a jack, sort of a pass rusher, sort of a blitz or whatever you want to call that. You know, and then bringing it forward. Again, we've talked about the linebackers. I, I really want to see more of C.J. Hicks out there because I think that he can do some of the same things that Sonny Styles can do. And you don't want to see Tommy Eichenberg and or Steel Chambers get burned out. We also saw Cody Simon yesterday. But let's talk about this defensive line. <clears throat> Pretty good against the run through two games. You know, Youngstown State loves to run the ball. They're known as a running team. Granted, they're FCS. But 33 total carries for the team yesterday. Only 99 yards. Yeah, they had some chunk plays. Mitch Davidson got into the end zone for them. Their quarterback. But... By and large, Ohio State, to my, in my opinion, has looked pretty stout against the run. I think the defensive tackles have been the strength, although JT Tuimolowau was good in run support last week. It's going to be a different game for them next week with, with Western Kentucky. So you hope that they just, they're on their game come Notre Dame time. Mike Hall, Jr. Is, Chuck, is there an argument for or against that he has been the most dynamic, explosive-looking member of that defensive line, period, because I thought he looked great yesterday. No, he has been, over two weeks, he has been really good. And I wonder, I know they're early in the season, they've been really, um, really disciplined in the rotation. I wonder if you see, as he continues, if he continues this, if his snaps start to increase a little bit, because I'm not saying he's got to play every snap, but I, 25 snaps to 40, 45, if he's going to continue to actually make plays, it's almost no brainer that he's out there more uh, and, and wrecking havoc. I agree with you. I think the totality of Buckeye Nation agrees with you. And as far as the snaps are concerned, I'm going to keep going back to, to maybe coaches know a thing or two. You don't have to play Mike Hall Jr., Mike Hall, 100% of the snaps against Youngstown State. <clears throat> you want to get some guys in there and rotate, get experience, hopefully have some fresh legs. So that's what I'm chalking it up to, that Mike Hall Jr. is not out there every snap. But he does look like the best member of that defensive line. On the other hand, I think it's time that we get into this defensive end conversation, this lack of pass rush conversation, this 
what the hell is going on conversation. JT Tuimolowal, I usually nail that, was a preseason All-American. Is a preseason All-American. Jack Sawyer, third year in the program, playing the position that we thought that he was destined to play. We thought that Ohio State might have a couple of nightmarish bookend defensive ends that could get after the quarterback and just make life hell for any opponent. Tui Molowau has looked good in stretches, more so in run support. I know that he, you know, he pushes a guy back yesterday. He takes on a quarterback at the mesh point. Maybe it looks kind of cool. But the production really ain't there. And Jack Sawyer, even less so. Uh, Jack Sawyer had three total tackles yesterday, two of the solo variety. JT Tuimoloau had two assists. That's it. From a duo that we thought, like I said, could be a nightmare. We thought that they could be Batman and Robin. Thus far, they have not been. Caden Curry looks like he's got maybe more burst than either one of them. Same thing goes for Kenyella Jackson. He has to figure out how to put it all together. He's more of your traditional pass rusher. But I've got some concerns, man. And I I know I'm not the only one. I know that you share this sentiment. I know that a lot of Buckeye fans are feeling a little uneasy about the lack of pass rush. Maybe it's a Larry Johnson thing. Maybe it's a Jim Knowles thing. You know, there are are plays where it almost looks like Tui Moloau and Sawyer are like, they're either making a conscious decision or they're being asked to just sort of engage a tackle with their hands and sort of play this in-between game where they could potentially advance towards a quarterback or support the run. I've, I've seen people, I, I've seen a few people online say that defensive ends are not asked to be TJ Watt in Jim Knowles' defense. I don't know. I, I can't verify that. But something's going on, man, or something's not going on because these defensive ends are not bringing a whole lot to the table. We saw it last year, we saw it the year before. At some point, Ohio State needs to figure out how to get after the quarterback. Your preference is to, it is natural, sort of organic pressure created by the ends. If not, you need to maybe put three linebackers out there, play that jack, learn how to blitz, learn how to get pressure that way. But they're not bringing it right now, man, and that needs to change and change quickly. Otherwise, I have a lot of questions about both the personnel and the coaching around sort of this defensive line. Good quarterbacks always eventually figure out teams that can't get to them. You look at all the great quarterbacks in history, you could drop everybody you want if you're not still getting some sort of pressure and moving them off their spot at some point, they will figure you out. So this is something, this is no different than every other quarterback out there. If they don't figure this out in the next two weeks, Sam Hartman will carve them up. These guys cannot protect, or these guys cannot guard 
out in space in the secondary for five seconds. And Notre Dame's going to give them some opportunities to get to him because they do want to push it a little bit in, at times. So there are going to be opportunities to get to the quarterback. They better get there. And if they don't, Hartman's going to carve them up. Like You don't get to uh, 7,000 million yards passing in 12 seasons in college football without being able to throw the ball a little bit. So he's going to give them opportunities to get to him. They got to get there and they got to figure it out next. They got to do a lot. They've got to take steps. Everybody we've talked about, the quarterbacks took steps. Uh, the defense is taking steps as a whole. This defensive line needs to take a big step next week to give us any confidence that they can do it versus Notre Dame. We've talked about Sam Hartman. I tell you what, man, Drew Aller and or J.J. McCarthy will light some asses up. Uh, same thing, right? If you give those guys time, they have both looked great to their credit through a couple of games against, you know, high school teams. But Ohio State played one yesterday, so let's call it what it is. Yeah, I don't I don't know what it is. I first of all, the personnel needs to be slash play better. Whether you're being vanilla or not, if you're in a one-on-one matchup with a right or left tackle at the FCS level, at some point you need to put him on his ass. Or get around him. You know, show some burst. Use your hands. You know. Throw him a swim move and put him on the ground. Get to the quarterback. We have to see that. I know that JT Tuimoloau has that skill set. We've seen it against a good offensive line. You know, Penn State had a good offensive line last year, and he lit them up. But you take away a game or two, and that's a guy who has seriously lacked consistency. I don't think that it's effort. I don't think that it's drive. I think it's lacking consistency because he... You know, he's a leader, and I think that he does play hard. It's just like, at some point, you got to play better. And I probably wouldn't say that to his face because he'd put me six feet deep. He's an intimidating guy, but you need more from him. And if you're not going to get it, then you have to manufacture pressure. And that's where maybe Ohio State coaches have been vanilla these first couple of weeks. Not... Not to not push the envelope, right? Like, I don't think that they're maybe intentionally not trying to get quarterback sacks and create pressure, but as far as with some of their looks, some of their blitzes, or lack thereof, maybe they've held back a little bit because they know that they do not need to reveal their hand, and they want to save that, but you have to show a proof of concept and they haven't shown that right now. Ohio state's defense has not really gotten any pressure. So that needs to change. That is absolutely concerning. I think that the talent is there. I hope that they figure it out, but it's not there yet. That's the defensive part of things. Uh, you know, Chuck, whether it's defense, offense, like I said, I didn't plan on going this long on Youngstown State, but I think there were a lot of talking points. And I, I, whether it's our duty or not, I wanted to potentially talk some Ohio State fans off the ledge. I know that's not, not a great term. I'm sorry. I, just, I couldn't come up with another metaphor. There are criticisms. There are concerns. 
there are players on this team that have played like shit through two weeks. There have been some really questionable play calls. There have been mishandlings of certain situations, position groups, this, that, and the other. It hasn't looked great. I'm not going to sit here and defend Ryan Day to the death. He's got some things to clean up and figure out. But let's give it some time, man. Like That's my biggest takeaway from this week. Let's look at the good. Let's be cognizant of the bad. Hope that it gets better. If Western Kentucky makes it a game next week and puts up 350, 400 yards through the air, let's light into somebody. If Notre Dame beats Ohio State by two scores, let's lay into somebody. But let's also have a little bit of patience and look at some things that are working well and getting better and just sort of let's take a step back. It is what it is. Ohio State's 2-0. and They've got a new quarterback. They've got an improved secondary. Like, it's not all doom and gloom here. So, Chuck, where are you at? Let's circle back around to a two-week evaluation. I am cautiously optimistic because, you know, it's the team I root for. If I was completely, uh, completely not blinded by any kind of fandom, maybe that would be different, but I don't know because I'm not. I, I, I have a fandom here that I am cautiously optimistic they are going to get better next week and then get better the week after and beat Notre Dame, and then they are off to the races in an attempt to go win a national title. So I'm with you, brother. I know things haven't been as uh, fun as we would have liked them. Uh, I've been a fan of this team for a long time and seen them win a lot of games that weren't fun, but in the end, they still won. You could argue there were 10 games in uh, 2002 that weren't fun to watch. And guess what? That last one was really fun to watch. So I, I'm, I'm ready for uh, for them to make some noise next week and, and build on this. And if they build on it, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good as they head into Notre Dame. Cautiously optimistic is uh, I'll adapt that as well. That's where I'm at now. My mind can change. If you asked me right now, or I'll just tell you right now, this team that we saw yesterday, I don't think they beat Penn State. I don't think they beat Michigan. I don't think they beat Notre Dame. And, you know, it's probably a game against Wisconsin. That's my honest assessment. If Ohio State played all of those other teams right now or in week three. But there's a lot of season left to go. And I just, I, I, I'm going to choose to hold on to my own optimism. To your point, Chuck, I mean, yeah, 2002 kind of sucked until January. But if Ohio State, you know, cross your fingers, whatever you do for good luck or uh, to have some sort of faith, if they win... 12, 13, 14 games by one point, that's all they need. And maybe they don't even need to win that many, but they need to get better and they need to get better quickly. I hope that they do that. Nothing about this pod 
has gone quickly. And so, Chuck, I think this is where we give some people uh, their time back, especially with when this goes up. Uh, it'll almost be NFL kickoff time. We're going to hope to have this up by 12, which means 1 o'clock. You get an hour to listen to our hour and 20-minute pod. So we're going to get jet, we're going to jet out of here. Uh, we thank all of you for listening. That's on behalf of Chuck and myself. We will be coming back to you on Wednesday to preview Ohio State Western Kentucky. Until then, going to ask you all to like, rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. Interact with us on social media. We love it. We appreciate you guys. And until Wednesday, until next time, go Bucks.